0: Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Praise the Lord. Thank you for worshiping this morning. Man, God is so good, isn't he? I'm telling you what, I, I, uh, I got the joy of the Lord this morning. I have got the joy of the Lord this morning. I hope you do, too. It was just coming over uh, me as we were singing in waves. And I want you to understand something. You can be sad about circumstances and still have the joy of the Lord. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. There's no end to his supply of joy. This morning is week seven of our Hebrew series. And we've covered a lot of uh, things in these last uh, weeks and and uh, if you've been following along with reading through Hebrews and, the following, uh, and following the sermons, you have probably come to understand that we have barely even scratched the surface of this book that teaches so much. I, I've been given a, a, you a brief synopsis of the overall theme of Hebrews each week. It's important to understand the, uh, the different times that the books of the Bible were written in, and to know the people who first read these books— and what their overall circumstances were and situations. So often we take a scripture and we go, that's my scripture and we'll take one verse and we'll just try to apply it to different things in our life and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's something that's very rich that comes out of digging in deep, looking at the historical uh, uh, situation and the the context uh, of it all and, and, and how it all fits in with what the world was going through even and what the individuals who heard it were going through uh it it just brings this richness of truth out of the scripture and that's what we're endeavoring to do with hebrews in this series um it takes some time to do that and it may even uh, help to uh get some reference books that that aid you in these studies but but digging in deep like this makes the word of god come alive it makes it exciting how many know the word of god is exciting right there's like four of you that think it's exciting are you awake today is God sit on the throne today? Yes. Hallelujah! Somebody, somebody shout with some joy today because uh, I'm going to explode if you don't. All right, Hallelujah! God is so good. Uh, this letter opens in such a unique way. We shouted and all the babies woke up, right? Uh, that's all right. This book opens in such a unique way. Remember that it was written to mostly Jewish Christians who were waning in their faith because of the persecution towards them that had been increasing over the last decade of their lives or so. The writer doesn't begin with any niceties or pleasantries. He gets right to the heart of the issue of why he's writing this letter to them. And I love this. It's just like, you know, you read some of the other letters and, and they're like greetings and you know, blah, 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 all this nice stuff. This one just cuts right to the chase. And um, there's an intensity that you see, that you feel. You feel the tone of the letter right away. And the writer gives the theme and then then immediately starts constructing an essay that, that proves the point he's trying to make. Jesus is greater than. He's greater than anything and everything connected to the Old Covenant. He represents the New Covenant. It's founded upon him. And we see this theme continued for 10 chapters with a few warnings thrown in the mix. So we have... Jesus is greater than, Jesus is greater than, and then we have some warnings. He starts out with how Jesus is greater than the prophets, and how Jesus is greater than the angels, and then he goes into a warning against neglecting our salvation. Then a continuation of how Jesus is greater than the angels, and then he's greater than Moses, he talks about. Then he gets into a warning against unbelief and apostasy. Then he's right back into how Jesus is greater than Joshua. And we've gone through all these in the weeks past. He covers how Jesus is greater than the Levitical priesthood and is our one and only high priest. Then he goes into a warning about being spiritually immature and again about falling away. It's like a, it's an awesome book. The writer then goes on on into uh, how Jesus is our high priest in the same order as Melchizedek. We read in chapter 8 how Jesus is the high priest of the new covenant. Then he writes about how Jesus is greater than the tabernacle itself. And then the writer seems to switch the theme a little bit. It goes from Jesus being greater than this, that, and the other, everything connected with the old covenant, to an application of what he has just been proving. As if to say, now that you understand that this gospel... You are being persecuted for, this gospel of Jesus Christ that your spiritual fathers and mothers have been put to death for, now that you understand it's worth going through anything for because he is greater than anything we've ever had in the past, then he says, here's how you can apply that. And that's what we're getting into last week and into this week. Last week, we got into um, the application, which was uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. He talked about how faith affects... How faith is affected and defined by the truths He just discussed in, verses, in chapters 1 through 10 Then he explains what true faith really is it's, it's hope It's hope and belief in the absolute truth of Jesus Christ In spite of anything that we could ever go through Here on the earth And I think that's really interesting That we're studying Hebrews in the midst of all this right now God has just set this up We're going through stuff And yeah, some of us are going through worse than others I get that I I totally get that. But faith is the hope of what is coming, what we know to be true. And it doesn't matter what you're going through, healing is coming. It doesn't matter what you're going through, life is coming. Life is coming. We've had people pass away, not even necessarily because of COVID. But there's hope because we have a heaven to look forward to. As Pastor Jared said, his kingdom is here and yet coming. So faith, this chapter on faith, really, it's an application for the readers. He's saying even though persecution has been happening, and even though you're going through difficult times, whatever you do, don't give up. Stand firm and continue to have faith in Jesus Christ because he is greater. His greatness outweighs and will overcome anything you could possibly go through in this life. And This last week we've been reading chapter 12. I hope you all have been joining along with the reading And it begins to apply again another application All that we read in chapters 1 through 10 by discussing discipline So we have an application of faith and now we have an application of discipline. We love that word. Don't we discipline? How many just love discipline? I love to be disciplined. Well, if you say that you didn't have my dad as your dad because my dad disciplined harshly, and not near as harshly as his dad disciplined. Um, anybody ever get the get a get a spanking? Anybody ever get the belt? <laughs> my, dad's favorite pra- my, my dad's favorite phrase was, "I will kick your butt up to your shoulders," <laughs> and it felt like he did sometimes. And I thank God for it because. Most of the time, I totally deserved it. Amen. You don't have to say that. <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> it discusses, chapter 12, discusses discipline and how we should view God's discipline towards us. Discipline is where we get our word disciple, and we're disciples of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. And it's important to remember because we often associate the word discipline to the word punishment and to that alone, it's important to remember that it's not just that. In fact, discipline is more than being punished when we do something wrong. In the original Greek, the word is translated to the word, that's the, the original word that's translated to the word discipline is the word paideia. Everybody say paideia. Paideia. You can speak Greek now. I give you a Greek word, paideia. And paideia does carry with it the idea of rebuke and correction. But it also has the positive side. Everybody say positive side. Of training and lovingly guiding for the purpose of reaching maturity. You need to write that down and remember it. It has the positive side of training. Discipline does. The positive side of training and lovingly guiding for the purpose of reaching maturity. Maturity, and you could even put spiritual maturity there. This is the kind of discipline that Hebrews gets into, and I think it's very, very interesting um, because we see that word again, we see that word discipline, and we're like, ooh, punishment. It's not always punishment. It's not always punishment. You feel like you're disciplined when you're two years old and you're running out for the street, right? The busy street full of cars, and mom or dad comes by and they grab your arm a little abruptly. And they pull you And it might hurt a little bit The grip they have might be a little tight But how many know that's discipline It's lovingly guiding you away from danger It's lovingly pulling you back From destruction That's discipline And when we're two, what do we do? No! I want to play in the street I don't get it, I don't understand And we're pulled in It wasn't punishment It was guidance And that's the idea here, paideia Hebrews 12, 4 through 8. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's some heavy stuff. It's easy to fall to temptation, isn't it? Well, I can ask for forgiveness later. I know this is wrong, but I don't care. I'll pay more on my taxes next year for making up for fudging this year. We have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's a whole other sermon in and of itself. Verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is where the writer quotes Proverbs three eleven through 12. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by them. Does anyone ever get sick of being disciplined by their dad? I know I was. This says don't grow weary when you're reproved by the Lord, for the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and chastises every son, you could say or daughter there too, whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have uh, that you have to endure, God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not your and not sons of God. In other words, this loving discipline, this loving guidance, this care, this this stuff we go through, That is discipline sometimes, not punishment, guidance. You can get mad about it, and you can despise it, and you can shake your fist at God, or you can receive it. This isn't a very popular message, I know. But it just happened to be chapter 12, which is where we're in. I have told my wife a couple times, I don't want to relive the last two weeks. When a pastor has three funerals in one week, that's crazy. It's crazy. Plus, we're dealing with COVID. Praise God, my whole family's out of that, right? Hope yours is too. The Lord is so good. He sees us through. Now, it's important that you hear me this morning. God does not cause bad things to happen to you or your loved ones to discipline you or punish you when you make mistakes. Did you hear what I said? Hold on to that. God's not running around trying to punish you. He does, however, take the bad things that occur in our lives because we live in a fallen world. That's why those bad things happen. We live in a fallen world and he takes those bad things and he uses them to train us and bring us to spiritual maturity. Sure, He's God, and he obviously allows these things to occur. There's no doubt about that. But causing them is a whole different thing. Man has free will, and we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have not, nor can we ever, live up to God's standard in and of ourselves. We must find the ability to live holy lives before God through the sacrifice of Christ, through his death on the cross, church, His righteousness becomes our righteousness through the cross. That's why the cross is the final word. He paid for our sins. Now God sees us as righteous. But even though we have become citizens of heaven, we're still in this world and we will have struggles, hardships, things to go through. Some people will go through more than we can even possibly imagine. But God takes these struggles and he allows beauty to come from them as he trains us and disciplines us and brings us to spiritual maturity. Maturity in Christ. Being disciplined in our faith is really about living holy lives before Jesus Christ. And I just have to say this morning, this is hard. Because when you start thinking about going through bad stuff, and you're like, God, I'm going to pray against this. I'm going to pray against this. I'm going to pray against this. And then you read a scripture, don't grow weary from the struggles because he's disciplining you through them. In fact, we should almost get to a place, if we're spiritually mature, where we count it all joy, as James says. Count it all joy. Because our eyes are so fixed on the things that are eternal And not so fixed on the things that are temporal and of this world That this stuff, the struggles, the issues, the circumstances The situations, the difficult things We just kind of float right over the top of them Because our eyes are focused on eternity And not on the temporal things of this world Church, I'm preaching truth It's not easy truth Few people see being disciplined as a good thing. This is exactly what Scripture is telling us it is. It says that the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. If you're going through it, God loves you. (laughs) Thanks, God, for showing me, right? It's not about punishment. And when those struggles occur and God uses them for our training, even the struggles become blessings. You talk about redemption. When God can take the worst things you're going through and turn them into blessings because he's training you and refining you through them, that's amazing. That's a redeeming God. We often want a gospel that is all about God giving us stuff. We want a gospel that creates a happy life for us here on earth. We want a gospel that is light on discipline and heavy on blessing. But the truth is that while we want a gospel like that, God wants, dis- or wants disciples who are willing to go beyond and see beyond this life, which is just such a vapor, and live for eternity, which is forever. And don't get me wrong. This is not a doom and gloom message that bad things will happen to you because God wants to mature you. It's a message that says, even though bad things may occur in your life, God will use them for your maturity and your benefit. And yes... We can grow bitter and angry with God. We can even let our faith slip and falter like these second-generation believers were doing because of all that, that they were going through. That's every individual's choice. That's the gift of free will that we have. But make no mistake, God isn't a big, mean kid with a magnifying glass in the sky burning us all like we're little ants. That's not the image of God that you should have. On the contrary, he loves you with an everlasting love, and if you're going through it, I guarantee you there's someone going through it worse or more than you are who isn't shaking their fist at God. Let him show you his love, his love for you. Let him turn those struggles into spiritual maturity which will give you more purpose in life than, you can, than you've ever possibly imagined. God doesn't doesn't throw you in in the fire of trials and tribulation. You are in those because you live in a fallen world. Why are you in those trials and tribulations? Because you live in a fallen world. That's it. He's the one redeeming you and taking those trials and using them to refine you into a mature disciple of Christ. He's disciplining you with those, not causing them, using them. Hebrews 12, 10 through 13. For they disciplined us, speaking about our earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, speaking of God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame, those things in your life that are lame and need to be worked on, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather it would be healed. I want to remind you that these believers that were being written to were living in a time that At any moment, because of their beliefs, because their stance for Jesus Christ, that they could have been used by Nero as tiki torches for his garden parties. That's who was hearing these words. And I've told you about that in this this series a couple of times, but if you were a Christian, it was like a death sentence. That's why he's talking this way, the writer. Man, and he's saying... This is all discipline, and you should love it? (laughs) Folks, this is hard scripture when you think about what these people were going through. How many have ever had to, uh, you know, avoid being a tiki torch at a garden party? (laughs) He would literally put Christians on sticks and light them on fire to light the party in the evening. It's sick. It's unbelievable to think about that. The writer is saying that discipline is not only about punishment. Sure, it can be. But most often when we go through hard times and struggles in this life, it's just the result of this fallen world. And the best way, the only way, to combat those things in our hearts and our minds and our emotions and our feelings and all that is to consciously allow God to use those things to refine us to maturity. Let holiness be developed In your life. And that's really the result of maturity. Holiness is the byproduct of maturity. John 12 25. Remember the words of Jesus. He said, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And these are the words of Jesus recorded by John the Apostle. I told you last week how John was placed into a pot of boiling oil but was not harmed. He was supposed to deny Christ or be boiled. He chose to be boiled, but God spared his life. And I wonder if these words of Jesus were resonating in his ears in that moment where he had to choose. Death or denial of Christ. He didn't know when he made that choice that God would spare him. Well, if I choose life, then God will get me out of this predicament. He didn't know that. But he chose to be boiled, and God did save him. There have been countless martyrs since that time that did not love their life so much as to deny Christ, just to hold on to it. and Countless who God didn't even spare. And I, I, say, I bring this thing up about loving your life because so often we love our life so much. We, we love our, our family so much. We love our job, our situation, or maybe our financial blessings that we're in. We, we start to love those things so much and we hold on to them so tight that if anything tries to come against those things, we just, we just lose it. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your family. I'm not saying you shouldn't walk in His blessing and be full of, of everything that God wants to provide you with and give you with. But there's no guarantees not on this side of Jesus' return. There's really no guarantees. Wealthy Christian people have lost everything financially before. People with family members who were, many of you probably are, are in this boat. You've had family members that you prayed for for healing, and they didn't get healed. Well, is God's word not true? No, it is true. But bad things do happen in this life. I just thank the Lord that we serve a God who sees us through those things and gives us absolute hope for the future. There are countless Christians who have endured horrific things just because they live in this fallen world, but their eyes were so focused on eternity that they could see past the grief of the hardship they endured. It took a while, but they did it. They chose to let God use the circumstance to mature them. And one couple that the Lord brought to my remembrance, as I was writing this sermon, there were a couple that spoke at the church that I was at in Brookings, South Dakota. And the couple was Pastor Ron and his wife LaVon Masters. They were pastors of the First Assembly of God Church in Rapid City, South Dakota, at the time of a personal and natural disaster. It was June 1972, June 9th to be exact. That's two days after I was actually born, 1972. And a furious flash flood produced by a six-hour downpour surged into Rapid City. The flood ripped through the city, seizing the lives of 238 people, including the master's three sons, Stephen, who was 12, Jonathan, who was 8, and Timothy who was only two. These are pastors, these are Christians, these are good people who love God, who've given their whole hearts to Him, who've given their life in the work of ministry. And this is an article I found about their story written by Barb uh, Seats of the Sydney Herald in Sydney, Montana. She said the couple and their five children were engrossed in a softball, a church softball game that, that June afternoon when the rain softly began to fall. The game was called off, and the masters loaded the family and headed for home. In an attempt to salvage the day after they got home, the Reverend Masters and LeVon decided to drive to the eastern part of the city to enjoy fellowship with their new youth pastors. Their stay was cut short by a call from their oldest daughter, Karen. She reported their neighbor's property, which bordered Rapid Creek, and she said it was flooding and feared that their land was next. And despite a police barricade set up one mile from their home, Reverend Masters and LeVon uh, were quickly reunited with their children. After receiving advice from Rapid City's assistant chief of police and experiencing power failure in their home, Reverend Masters helped his children and wife through ankle-deep water in the yard and into the family's 1962 four-wheel drive scout, international scout. It was a good old vehicle, wasn't it? And they headed for higher ground. Within six hours, the dark clouds had deposited nearly 15 inches of rain over the central and northern Black Hills, most of which drained into Rapid City. So swollen creeks and streams formed wide rivers in the ravines and drainages. This led to fail- the failure of Canyon Lake Dam, which sent walls of water into Rapid City. With the family loaded into the vehicle, the masters quickly made their way to the Jackson, Jackson Boulevard Bridge, Right after crossing the bridge, disaster happened. The water lifted the scout off the road. They were floating. The turret spun the vehicle out of control. The current swept them away. The scout was brought to a sudden halt between two cottonwood trees. The seven family members were fighting for their lives, quickly thinking Reverend Masters was able to rescue LaVon and Karen from the fast-moving debris-filled waters before the entire scout was submerged. Karen held tightly to their two-year-old, Timothy, as she fought to find shelter in a nearby tree, but the current tore the baby from her arms and swept him downstream. Stephen, Jonathan, and Joanne were trapped in the back seat. The dangerous, fast-moving debris and swift current uh, torrent made it impossible for their parents to reach them. Reverend Masters Levon, and Karen took shelter in the boughs of a couple of trees throughout the night. The water began to recede with the coming of morning, and the three remaining family members heard a small voice that rose from within the scout. It was Joanne. She survived. They were overjoyed. They thanked God for another life saved, but her brothers had not survived. Reverend Masters pulled his frightened little girl from the wreckage as she said, Daddy, God wants me to be a missionary. And he said, He surely must, honey. He surely must Pastor Masters said Life is a school And we are always learning What you put in is what you take out of it After experiencing a loss of such magnitude He said you must go back to your foundation I didn't know what I believed after losing the boys For one year after the flood I lived on what I knew Not what I felt It's a powerful statement because I wasn't feeling anything anymore. If a man never believed in hell, he would, have believed, he would believe in it after a night like that. A girl trapped in a nearby tree screamed all night long. Lightning provided glimpses of bodies, trees, cars, uh, parts of houses and other debris, debris floating by. Just before daybreak, the water started to drop. Joanne had survived the night in an air pocket at the back of the vehicle of the scout. She said her brothers had shared the air pocket, but Stephen eventually stopped talking, and then Jonathan was just gone. Master said he'll never forget the look of terror in his daughter's eyes. It just pierced your soul. He said sooner or later, rain will fall on everyone. Some rain will fall in everyone's lives. Everyone experiences bitterness, They struggle to get past and live a productive life. There comes a time after a terrible tragedy that a person must make a decision either wither away or live a productive life. We chose to live a productive life. See, I know that was long. But tragedy isn't caused by God. Isn't brought upon you by the Lord because he's mad at you or because he wants to punish you. Tragedy, hardship, struggle, it all is because we live in a fallen world. And you know what? God is so good, he'll take that tragedy, he'll take that struggle, and he'll use it to refine you and make you stronger. God has done great things with this couple since that tragedy, they've spoken all over the world as well as pastored internationally. They are a story of triumph over adversity, of course. Uh, they, they chose to let uh, struggle and tragedy in this life become a refining tool in God's hands. Not, not, again, that God did it, but he used it to refine them as a couple and family. And their daughter did become a missionary, by the way. They're hard truths, Because again, we just want to be happy. We just want to have everything work out, everything be perfect. And guess what, church? If your eyes are focused on eternity, that day is coming. That day is real as real can be. When the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, and we're caught up together with them in the clouds... And there's a great reunion in the sky and there'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more struggle, no more pandemic, no more war, no more hatred, no more racism, no more media, no more politics. I mean, come on, church. That day is absolutely our day. That day is a coming. Now, God can bless and heal and deliver and provide all now, sure, because his kingdom is here. But it won't come in its fullness until he comes again and he reigns and rules in the world. His kingdom is here and it is yet coming. Why do you think, and I said this last week, and I'll say it again, why do you think we're a church that's all about building the kingdom until he comes? Build his kingdom. Build his kingdom. That's what we're about. So often, we get so focused on building our own kingdoms, we forget why we're here. We're here to build his kingdom. I want to end with this Hebrews 12:14 Strive for peace with everyone. Boy, that's a great little verse for today, isn't it? And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Just in context with what we have seen or what we have just been talking about, I guess, discipline is training and loving guidance. This verse says it all. Strive for peace with everyone and holiness, which is a byproduct of spiritual maturity. Make sure that grace rules the day in people's lives and don't let the struggles of this life allow a bitterness to take hold in your heart because it will wreck more than just you. It'll wreck those around you. Church, times are tough in some ways, But we can have joy The struggles are real, I don't deny them But we can be overcomers We need to focus our eyes And our hearts on eternity Because that world Is more real than this one And when we do that You'll be able to see Or or sing Uh, I'm going to see a victory You can say a I I think I'm seeing a victory, or I am seeing a victory, or I am in the midst of victory, right? Let's pray. Father God, it's just amazing to me how we can go through really difficult weeks, and, and in a series like this, just what we're reading and studying just kind of lines up verbatim with what we're going through and God as I read Hebrews 12 I was cut to the core because I've complained about politics and I've complained about situations and I've complained about all sorts of things situationally that we're going through Lord, today I, I ask forgiveness for that. I know you know my struggles. You don't need to hear my complaints or my whining. But God, I say use all of those struggles to refine me. Use those difficult circumstances to train us to a place of spiritual maturity. God, we know they're not sourced in you, but you can take the ashes, God, of our struggles and give us back beauty in return. And Lord Jesus, we love you today. We once again give you our hearts, give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.